Hello, my friends. Today's episode was yet another heater as we just got off with Sebastian Siegel, an actor, screenwriter, director, author. What doesn't this guy do? And also a dear friend to the Call to Action podcast. He just finished launching his most recent film called Grace and Grit, which is now streaming on all major platforms. So go check that out. Our conversation was phenomenal, although the Zoom quality was sub-phenomenal in various places. So please bear with us at times as the internet gods keep blessing us with audio blips still in 2021. Couldn't make this stuff up, folks. But the topics of discussion are far more valuable coming from the man himself. And with that, here's Sebastian Siegel to talk to us about Grace and Grit. Enjoy. Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. So Sebastian, welcome, my man. Uh, Congratulations on such an epic accomplishment. Just what uh, what an adventure, what a journey. I remember us working out and starting off from the stairs and you were in your ideation stage. You're like, I- I'm going to I'm going to make this movie. This was many years ago and you were just starting to write the script for it. And you were you were coming up with the concept and how, how do I properly do this? And from step by step from there to fundraising, to getting the cast list together, to executing this thing, man, I've been on the sideline watching this whole thing happen. And then to see it on my Amazon account with the entry scene, you know, directed, by Sebastian Siegel to see my brother's name right there was just it, it gave me goosebumps, my man. And just just congratulations on such a fucking feat. Uh, so many people wish they could do something like this and they sit there and they complain about. But you're just a doer, man. And you got it done. How does it feel? <laughs> That's so cool. I, I think that because you're so you guys are, are, you know, you and Keith are such doers also. It's like even today, I wanted to be at the studio. We couldn't make it happen, and traffic and the schedules and stuff. And but you guys persevere. You're resilient, you know. And I think that that's the quality of any doer sees that in every other doer. Yeah, which is really just about. Doesn't matter if the sea is calm and the wind is at our backs, or if the seas are huge and we're facing torrential downpour and tsunamis. We just keep moving forward and. If sometimes you're moving forward and the current's going outward and you're moving forward and you're moving forward, but then when the current cracks and you're still going forward, you get a little zoom. That's you right. Know, you like the little zoom. And I think that's a great metaphor for anything, whether it's a movie or a technology or a video game or a podcast or starting any kind of uh, any kind of vocation or raising a family, anything like that. Yeah, it's just keep moving forward. And I think when it comes to movies, yes, I think a lot of people have dreams and hopes and, and particular talents or skill sets that above all demand a certain amount of resilience and perseverance and follow through. So for me, I, I don't think of myself as being talented in any particular department, but I'm willing to do the work and I'm good at the follow through, just going again, again, again. Like all those sets we did on the stairs, 
all those that's days. true my man and uh i one line in the movie or lines but one moment that really and, and we'll get into kind of the process of it. And I know we're kind of crunched for some time and uh, I want to hit everything we can. But I, I wanted to really start with this because it, it kind of moved me. And I also, because I know you, it I know that, I, and I'm going to ask you if you wrote this piece specifically, but here it goes. And this, for, for anyone that hasn't watched the movie, go watch it. It's called Grace and Grit. That's what we're here to talk about today. Sebastian Siegel, the, uh, the director, and I'm assuming also a writer um, and producer of this whole beautiful film that he's put together um, based on Ken Wilber's book. Um, and in the movie, about an hour and 20 minutes in, this woman is is reading. I'm assuming it's a friend of Treya, the main character, and she's reading this this line. And it's just so powerful if you break it down and, and re-listen to it over and over. And it goes like this. That first noble truth. There is suffering in the world to take part in it feels like I'm engaged in a special journey. Only taken up by those who can handle it. I call it passionate equanimity. I do all I can without attachment to the results, just for the love of it, the love of life. And my goodness, knowing you and your, your, your mentality on how you attack everything you do and kind of that sick, beautiful, twisted, I guess, energy that goes with life itself. You almost have to have a sick, twisted sense of humor and things, but also it's, it's, it's really relevant to anything tragic we, we go through in life. And the way that it was portrayed, she did a beautiful job reading it off, off of uh, the letter that was sent to her being, you know, Treya's friend in the movie. But did you write this line? I have a feeling you had something to do with this. That, you know, you gave me chills when you, when you, when you quoted that. Uh, so I, I did adapt the screenplay uh, from the book. And the book chronicles uh, Treya's journals, right? And chronicled by Ken Wilber. And that is directly from her journals. That is her writing. Wow. And that thing she called passionate equanimity. Um, that was an actual letter that she wrote to a lot of her friends. And uh, this idea of passionate, hold on, and equanimity, let go, right? Psychology jumping in, spirituality jumping out, like the in-breath and the out-breath. In other words, giving all we can to everything we do, but without the attachment to results. As she says, just for the love of it, for the love of life. Which, when you think about it, if you're doing a dance, it's the best when it's like that. If we try too hard, we stumble. If it's signing our name, if it's kissing, if it's painting, if we try too hard, we, we, we fuck it up. But if we just let it go, we give ourselves to it, we surrender to it, then it's there. And so um, that's an, yeah, an important letter of hers. And, um, and, I, and I, I love that it struck you like that because it certainly struck me when I read it in the book and I knew that that needed to stay in the film for sure because that's so much of the essence of it. And I think really like, you know, the metaphor we were talking about, you know, for us, sports is such a big thing and there's so much of that. Give everything you can, but not to win the game. Just give everything you can because it's part of this smaller celebration, which echoes this larger celebration of life. Yeah, for sure. And especially for her story, um, going through such ups and downs, roller coasters of like 
hope and tragedy and hope and tragedy and just but keep going it's almost like she has to and this is treya the main character and her husband ken um just having to go through life uh you you can't sometimes you hit situations where you can't go around you can't go under you can't go over you kind of just got to go through it and what i thought was so beautifully written by this is what she's saying essentially is i accept where i am and what's going on and just she still finds a way to love life and it was just it was so beautifully written and so beautifully done uh it, it really it really gave me goosebumps man it really did um and i think you know how do, how do you feel going from this ideation stage to releasing a movie a hollywood movie on amazon apple and all these big platforms like how how are you feeling seeing it that it's like the project is 90% done because obviously there's promotion and the, the, the last 10% is kind of just like being in the media and whatnot. But how are you feeling after releasing a project that you've spent so many years, you've dedicated so many years to doing? You know, I, I, I think of myself just as being in service to it, you know, and so in, in, in some way, I, I don't think of a final point. I think of it as a chord as part of a greater song. Yeah. Um, I'm working on many movies, yeah, and some of you know the, the gestation period can be months and years. And there's several others that I've been on for years that are in prep or pre-production or et cetera. And I this one was very close to my heart, obviously, because Ken Wilber was such a big impact on me, had such a big influence on me and to so many other people around the world. And so I'm happy in the way that I was able to bring it to the screen because it's not an easy movie to bring so films and stories about transcendence and love beyond life. I'm happy in, in terms of being in service to them and to him and to the people who love his work that I was able to, to do that. Uh, and I think the film's beautiful because I was able to collaborate with such extraordinary artists across the field. Um, but I don't think of, I, I suppose, you know, there's just a resonance that carries on. Um, it feels good to, to, to be carrying the torch in some way, yeah, for that book and for that story. And here we are still carrying it together. I mean, someone's gonna, you know, listen to this or watch this and, and, and watch this movie and have a, a huge impact on their life around the way that they love, around the way that they lose fear of death, around the way that they get hope uh, in love, you know, beyond life, you know, and that's why we make this, that's why you make a film like this. So. Have you spoken to Ken at all uh, since the, I'm, I'm assuming you have, like what, what have things he said about the film? Was he extraordinarily impressed with kind of the work and uh, what, what did he think about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I flew out there before it released uh, to Denver to see him. I'm the only person that he had seen in the last year and a half, other than his doctor, a friend, and his wow. assistant was very close with him, um, and 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 uh, his assistant's um, partner. So uh, I flew out there, showed it to him, and he loved it. And he wrote a beautiful review online. He thought it was exceptional. Um, ahead of the curve, um, like the book, I think there's never been a book written like this in the way that it's got three voices. It's his voice, her voice, and then the author's voice as well. Right. Um, and so the film has that. It's told from, uh, you know, from from her voice and from his eyes. But there's also a, a kind of transcendent voice that uh, extrapolates the kind of story that's going on between them. So it's ahead of the curve. It's it's avant-garde, I think, at the least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he loved it. He he he, he laughed a lot. Um, he cried, he cried and he, you know, thought the film was, was brilliant. And, um, um, 
I think it's just because I was able to extract the blueprint of what was in the book and able to, through partnership, put it on to the screen. Yeah. What I really appreciated about what you did with the film in the edits and the storytelling, like, you know, a lot of people are always saying like, oh, the movie's so much different than the book, et cetera. And I think those people are kind of like dull and tone deaf because they're not realizing there's two very different subsets of, of uh, users, end users, right? Like a book, what, what's the person doing? They're sitting, they're absorbed, like words can describe things that, you know, I, I think that books can describe things into enormous detail as long as they want because they have any bit of time that they need. Whereas a movie, like you're kind of on a time budget here. So you've got to hit the major points as best as possible and then craft it. And what I think you did a really, really good and phenomenal job is that you took and this is just Ben's opinion, but I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think as well. But like, I think you did an amazing job taking a risk on the creative interpretation on simply like the, the way that it was edited, like the long gazes, like it's, it's so anti Hollywood, which made it so unique and so amazing because uh, usually in movies, everything is kind of just like, cut scenes, jump cuts. And it's just, whereas you were able to like spend time in those unique moments, they're looking at each other as a couple when they first meet and everything's really going well. Like I felt really happy, almost like this is too perfect. Where's the tragedy? I know it's coming. Like, it's just, it's so happy. And the way they touched each other's lower back gently and like the, the, even like, I guess the LUTs, they call them the color, the colorations. And you guys did a phenomenal job with making it a very unique film. And how, how did you take that and create this, uh, this vision for that? Like, where do, do, do you have a team of people or did this something you kind of created and already knew before the film started? And great question, great insight. And I think that you're bringing up at the top there two very interesting things. One is philosophical. Uh, and then one is just a matter of like what you're talking about, about end users. It's like talking about the movie Titanic, right? And people say, no, 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 the book is better than the movie. The book is better than the movie. Well, no, 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 screw that. You know, you should have been on the boat. That was so much better than reading the book. <laughs> we were on it and it really sank, you know? You know? People really died. That was yeah. really Thing, you know you know so it is it's like a you know the the uh, reiteration of stories you know whether they're music or songs or told in the bible or over time and well you know whatever form the story takes on a new life every time it's it has a new medium yeah and mm. um sure the, in this case the book uh, should serve the movie and the movie should serve the book but you think about this is something that took five or six years to live you know that's written in a book that's 400 pages it took eight years to make as a movie that in the end product is an hour and 48 wow. you know what to leave in what to leave out in terms of me as a craftsman uh there was things that i put in the book uh took from the book that i said this has to go in there we don't have time to put it in the movie so it goes in metaphorically yeah mm. in terms of the result of kind of you know the holding the gazes and i greatly appreciate what you said about this being sort of the anti-hollywood film which it very much is is that I think about the songs that moved me, right? And there's so many amazing songs and movies that just transformed me with these incredible state experiences. Off the top of my head, U2's One, that song One, right? One Love, One Life, you know? Right. Yeah, that song's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. 
And growing up hearing that song, every time I heard the U2 one song, it was just like, oh man, you know? And what's in there? There's this, this you know, suffusion of lyric and tone and melody and beat that is experiential, yeah? If I have the words written out, the song doesn't mean anything. If I just have the beat, the song doesn't mean anything. But all those things together massage us into this place where by the time I reach the end of that song, I'm like teary-eyed and full of hope. That's the power of music. That's the power of movies, right? And so when you say the long gazes and you say this anti-Hollywood film, absolutely, a Hollywood film. And what that means really is lowest common denominator. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's not lowest common denominator, there's going to be critics that are going to hate it and it's not for everyone. And this movie has come out that way. Audiences, 98% across the board say amazing movie. And these, there's a couple of critics out there who have just, just said, this is horrific, you know? And what's been interesting about that is that audiences have come out and said, who is this critic that said this? Like, exactly. Someone, what, what gives them, <laughs> what makes a critic a critic too? Like who grows up and says, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to be a movie critic. Like, because I, I never, you know, I feel like the critics almost, and sorry to interrupt you, but I, I just, I had this moment too, because I was going to ask you about the critics and like, how do you handle them? And do you eat their soul in their comments by like, you know, like it just fuels you and you're like, you know, you just, I get where you're coming from and I appreciate the feedback, but you know, you don't understand. I feel like critics are guys that wish they could have produced a film, but didn't have the wavos to do it. Totally. And, you know, they sit around twiddling their thumbs, waiting to hate, like almost like the keyboard warriors in a way. Um, and, and what makes them an expert? You know, you tell me, I don't know. Read the book. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting, right? What you guys are saying in a way that there are many amazing critics, right? And that love movies. Yeah. And then, you know, and, that, and that's fine. And they all have their opinion, but they have a job, right? And their job is to True. serve their constituents. And if their constituents are lowest common denominator, then they've got to serve that lowest common denominator. In other words, if you're doing a show on E and they say, hey, let's watch Grace and Grit, they're going to say, listen, this is a beautiful movie. We love this movie, but we need to know what's the hot shoe this season, mm-hmm. right? It's the product of that's their end user. So the mm-hmm. critic you know, wants to serve the greatest, lowest common denominator. And that's it. None of it's personal. It doesn't matter to me what they write. The fact that a critic, you know, like that covers it means that it's an important piece of art in the world. It's an important movie. They only cover a dozen movies, 10 movies a week. So that they're covering it means that it's, that it's substantive. Um, you know, and also I think it, it puts it on the map in a way that it gets other people to reply in the same way that, that, that you're replying that a lot of people called me, you know, who are some of the greatest movie makers in the world and said, hey, man, I read this thing. And just so you know, like this person is a moron, you know, <laughs> they can't stand me. Or what they said. You know, and I said, look, I have no emotional attachment to that. You know, as you said, this is the anti-Hollywood movie. The film is experiential. Yeah. Somebody, whether they like U2's one or whether they like, you know, uh, The Tree of Life or Black Swan or The Fountain. Tree of, Tree of Life. Black Swan. Wow. You know, whatever, you know, these movies, you have to sit in there and you have to feel the gaze. And I wanted the book did that. for Yeah. Me. And my and, responsibility as a director is not to yeah. make an audience happy in that way. It's to give the audience something that is true. And in other words, to take an extract from the book, something that was true and that has moved hundreds of thousands of people around the world and moved me in such a way and deliver that to the screen. And according to the author and according to 
Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, and, you know, somebody, you know, John Mackey and, and, you know, a lot of brilliant actors, a lot of Academy Award winners, we achieved that. Yeah. And according to also, more importantly, audiences who have loved someone and held someone who's died in their arms, they said, this is, this is the movie. It's never been done like this before. Those are the people. You know, real real quickly quickly, on your list, you know, uh, Black Swan, Tree of Life, the the cinematography, cinematography, coloring, everything everything that you did with directing directing in this, you know, now that you mentioned those, it's, it's right right there. there. It's, it's it's that got got that artisan spirit, spirit, which, you know, really resonates with me. I love that. And I definitely see it here. I, what I appreciate about this film too, is that I felt like it challenged me because, you know, this film, this, this genre, I should say, is one moment uh, we're getting a little a gift from zoom running out of time we've removed the 40 minute limit okay great i'll edit that out don't worry what i appreciate about this film is that it challenged me um as a viewer uh not that i needed the motivation to watch it from start to finish just the genre itself and i'm talking more in generalities is that it really pushed you because most individuals, and I feel like this goes back to the critics, they're kind of wanting like the action pieces, the typical cut and paste type action movies or, or love movies that you see all the time. And if it doesn't fit in that little category, they're so closed minded that they're just like, uh, I'm not giving it a chance. And not that they even deserve to give it. But this movie personally challenged me because it was so emotional. And I have to say that. Mm-hmm. Since the last time you and I have seen each other, and this is again, I know you, you know me, we challenge each other, you know, all three of us do, but Sebastian and I, when we like go, when we're together in person, we're working out, we're doing things like there's always this, this love of, of just, Hey, you want to go one more round one, like, let's just go till we die. And then we'll talk. It's like this, that's, that's what I felt with this movie. And it just challenged me. And especially when the moment in the movie, when Treya gets pregnant, because I've personally had a, had a son uh, since this pandemic four months ago about, and when she got pregnant, you know, it's, it's completely changed my perspective on life. And so when viewing this movie and seeing, you know, on her, on their honeymoon, she gets diagnosed with this just tragedy and they're in Hawaii. And then, you know, in throughout the film, she gets pregnant and the decision to have to make, and I'm not going to spoil it for the viewers listening right now, but uh, you know, that specific moment really moved me because it was just, it was so real. And it goes back to what you were saying. Like you really made this movie stand out because everything that was happening was actually real. And you don't feel that in movies typically. Like I was yeah. saying earlier, it's like jump cuts and whatnot. Like, man, how much time was spent, I guess, with these actors and actresses just creating this realism? Like, is that a typical thing for directors to do? Or like, how, what's the process like that to create this type of environment? It's abnormal and it's brilliant. Thanks, man. Yeah, I... Uh... You know, as a, you know, because I started as an actor and then I wrote, produced and directed for over a decade, starting commercials and then trailers and then shorts and then documentaries, you know, learning on set about what creates an environment <clears throat> that allows people to really be at their best. 
In a symphony, if all the musicians haven't all worked together, it's okay if they all trust that everyone else is doing their job and playing their instrument and they all trust the conductor. So then all of a sudden you have this thing where the cello and the violin, they may not know each other and they may be across the room from each other, but they pick up a resonance with one another and you get this beautiful chord. And I think that a lot in, in producing a movie is putting together a team and a crew. Yeah, with my producers, uh, my producing partners, every single person who touched this film is such an important chord to this film. Yeah, you know, from production design to, you know, lenses to colors to costumes to actors to everything, script coordinator, everything. Um, so, to create that safe place for actors, yeah, as a director is the most important thing to allow the actor to take the risks. Because in a film like this, especially mm -hmm. content like this, the actor is going to be beautiful, the actor is going to be attractive, the actor is going to be uh, cruel or, or, or selfish or arrogant or and then graceful and then all those things. The actor is going to have sex, the actor is going to, you know, uh, fall in love, the actor is going to be angry and be, you know, all those things. So to create a space that is safe for the actors so that they can push that instrument to the limit is the most important thing uh, as a director. In other words, it's a sacred relationship. These two actors um, were brilliant. Uh, all the actors were brilliant in this film. Every single performance, even people who just did one day and a guest star, extraordinary performances. Um, and, but particularly these two leads, Mina and Stuart, you know, they really trusted me and I pushed them to the limit. And because they trusted me when we went to those limits, they were comfortable just closing their eyes and they, had, they do the work. These are, you know, exceptionally talented actors who have done, you know, so many amazing movies between the two of them. Yep. Mm -hmm. one the environment is, is safe. They trust the material, they trust me and they, they, they and, it, and it showed up on screen, you know. Were there moments Absolutely. in the production with these uh, the actors and actresses, like especially with Mina and Stuart, were there moments where it was almost like a, um, incongruence with the movie itself, Grace and Grit, where they had to like dig deep and 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 have to like charge through difficult situations? Were there moments or is it because personally, I don't know. I've never been on film set. I've never been in the experience, but I can imagine there's got to be moments just like an athlete does. Like from my background, I can understand it from an athletic standpoint. And you are almost like if we were to make this analogy, you're kind of like a coach and a coach's job is to allow the creative freedom and trust in the players to execute their position as they see fit in the moments that they're going to make the right decisions that they may go a little on the edge. They may ride that line of like, uh, I don't know where this is going, but then they, they execute and they produce. And then it's like, wow, I just was able to witness this. Were there moments like that in the film that you remember? There were, and it's a great analogy because, uh, if the player, if the athlete, the NBA or the NFL or the wrestler or the swimmer feels comfortable with the coach and says, hey, look, I'm having this challenge today. I'm feeling this insecurity or I'm unsure about this, this, this event. Then the coach can say, this is what we're going to do. Right? This is what I want to try. I know what this horse can do. I know what you can do. I know what you have. Right. Right. That's the point of before we shot the scene where Ken is in the bar and he's crying and he's laughing and he's, it's kind of this, this, crucifixion resurrection moment yeah and mm -hmm. um 
he asked me about any of the scenes, but he asked uh, that my AD came and was like, hey, man, Stuart really wants to see you in his trailer. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm doing, you know, we're going 4 a.m. to midnight every day for a month, right? So I go over to his, to his trailer and, and he said, um, Ham, hey, I'm, I'm a little concerned about this scene. Like, how are we going to do this? You know, I'm supposed to cry and laugh, but there's no dialogue in the whole scene, right? He's like, well, you know, how are we going to get there? And, you know, and I said to him, listen, I, I read this scene in the book um, and I understand it so well and we're going to get there. It's in you. It's already in you. And I'm going to work with the other actors who are going to be in the bar dancing with you and, you know, who are going to be pulling you up. None of them speak English. They're all going to be German. And so it's this this point really where. It was Ken, a dark moment in the movie. Yeah, where Stuart's character goes from this dark and then all of a sudden ends up in the ocean at night looking up at the stars and realizes that he's going to be torn away from the woman he's in love with, but that he's going to be with her forever. And that he's already been with her forever. So it's this really powerful moment. So we got in there and it's the, it's by far the most fun I've ever had shooting a scene in a movie. I mean, really? literally we're in this, yeah, we're in this room and everyone's dancing and I've got the music way up and you know, my DP Sean, he's amazing. He's up in there. We're going, you know, back and forth. I'm going, all right, Ken's happy now. Ken's happy now. Ken's crying. He's miserable. You know, he's going to lose this woman you know and then Stuart's just going all the way there fearlessly you know he's wow. he's dancing he's arm in arm with all these guys and they're and he's crying and then he's laughing and then he's and then he's exhausted yeah and he's and then he finds this out point and it's such a beautiful beautiful scene and and Kim and Catherine Kluge who did the score who also did Scorsese's Silence right. uh, the score for that you know, they just scored that scene so beautifully uh, and so powerful. Um, but yes, that was a moment where, um, and then there was a couple other moments for sure where, you know, it's game time and I've got to be with an actor. You know, there were a couple actors who came in day of and, and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, what do you think about this? I'm feeling, I'm not sure about wh which direction this goes. My job as writer and my job as director is to know the material inside and out on a molecular level. Uh, just and so to translate it. Yeah. via Ken's vision, his actual experience with it, right? Because you've got to respect the actual experience and, and how do you portray that? That's, got, that's a lot of added pressure, no? Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, pressure if you're unprepared, but a privilege if you're prepared, right? right. You know, like being the athlete, like you need a, you know, you're Michael Jordan and you need to make the funny shot. It's pressure if you're not prepared, but if you've been shooting the free throws and you've been doing the shots all summer long and all year long for so many years, it's exciting. You know, right. so for me as director, I like to do a lot of preparation and I'm prepared and I know I've got a great team with me. And so I'm ready to meet that challenge. Um, so, you know, when we're on set and the number of you know circumstances came up like that, um, I need to understand that material on a molecular level, not to control it, but to say, to be able to articulate to the actor, to the other individuals who are participating in painting this picture with me, this is what's happening because every person is going to bring a different slightly different palette and color and feel, you know, very true sound. And I'm trusting all of them because I've got a specialty in every department, but the lead, each person, each department, their specialty and knowledge of that thing is beyond mine. And so I've got to really completely trust them. And uh, I think, you know, that, 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 you know, when a director is really doing their job, they're really trusting each department to collaborate with them so that we tell ultimately the story together. So, on that, like, because of my lack of knowledge, you know, forgive me, this may be like general knowledge to most people in Hollywood and, and, and whatnot. Um, but when on that point of meshing, 
you know, just like with any other team and organization, et cetera, like, is it important? How does it work? Do the actors come together, you know, prior, like a week before and just spend time together, kind of just hanging, understanding like them as people and then kind of going over the material? How does that work to be able to produce and get this kind of execution as an end result? Usually, you know, I'm working, I'm looking at a picture that we're going to shoot in the Middle East and it's sort of this like the epic biblical, you know, picture. Ideally, we want to get the actors to, to have a lot of prep time to, to get mm-hmm. to know the material and get to know one another. In this particular case, no. Um, Mina wow. was cast uh, first. And um, so then when we when I connected with Stuart and I was like, Mina's the one, you know, after we met, I was like, sure. And then Incredible same thing with Stuart. I was like, I wasn't sure. And then we met and I was like, he's the guy. Sure he's Dude, the guy. and now I can't imagine two other actors in the world playing it, right? But they, what was interesting about this is that Ken and Treya met, and they were just like thrust into this world where they fell in love so rapidly, and it was kind of cool in the way that Mina and Stuart met, and they kind of I shot mostly chronologically for that reason so that they'd be able to get to know one another. And that by the time we reach the pinnacle and this intensity builds, this emotional mm-hmm. intensity of the film, that the actors would get to live through that in somewhat, some sort of a chronology, that they were really thrust into it. And so the kind of, the playfulness that started, you know, at the beginning, they have unbelievable on-screen chemistry because they're brilliant actors. Legitimately. Yeah, it was really the end real. scene, yeah. the end, yeah. I mean, the end scene, we'll get to that, but I mean, the end scene, uh, you can tell the dynamic got to its pinnacle. Like it, just like what you said, is it crazy? I I noticed this in the, in the kind of the end scenes when they were doing the side by sides, Ken looks exactly like Stuart. Yeah. You you could not have picked two people that look closer. I, I, you, that was incredible. You know, um, synchronicity, Right when things seem like they're coincidence, but really there's a greater music going on, and we become aware of the coincidences. Right, you know that there's something happening through all of us. You know, not mm-hmm. too through us. And um, <clears throat> Stuart had long hair, and he shaved his head on, on day one of filming. And so I knew that there was some facial structure resemblance with Ken, but I didn't know it was like that. And literally, you know, the whole team, uh, production design and, you know, people were like finding the right glasses for the three periods and Ken's uh, over those poor five years, act one, act two, act three, he's got three different pairs of glasses. People who know Ken Wilber's work will recognize those glasses. Um, He came upstairs for the first scene after he shaved his head and we were all like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> it was bizarre. <laughs> we were literally people were holding up photos of him and ken so it's um, almost it was, scary like yeah. it's almost like scary it could be twins i feel like it was insane yeah it was a cool synchronicity and i and i think that that happens yeah that happens and when that happens like there's some sort of recognition that there's a music that's coming through that hey there's something beautiful occurring here let's keep playing this music right it's it's almost like the relationship built you know, because this story of grace and grit, it's like a story and uh, of hope and the exploration of every corner of every possibility that you could get to. And it's like the good, the bad, the absolutely ugly and everything in between. And it's like this constant roller coaster of like things are going great. Things are are, are amazing. And then the tragedy happens. It keeps trying to pull them away from each other. And at one point you almost feel like they're going to, but somehow they just, they, they keep pushing through. 
And, you know, as that quote was like, she did it solely for the love of it. Like she just loved life and it was just so beautiful. And it just, I just, I'm at loss for words at times, like trying to comprehend the story and, it, and I'm not trying to over-exaggerate, but you know, a lot of things personally in my life, I can relate to a lot of these scenarios. Like I, I personally have a friend going through cancer right now. It's a woman and she's having a semi-difficult time with it. And that drew me into it. Um, and, but she's also fighting it like a warrior and kind of seeing what really matters in life. You know what I mean? And like this, this movie really did it for me. And I have to say the, the end scene, my man, I don't know of a better, as the native Americans like to say, they say they've walked on because the story continues. It keeps going. It's not an end. It's just a continuation. And I've never seen a movie in any situation more real than the death of Treya in this movie. It was, it moved me, it moved Keith, it moved Svetlana. Svetlana was in deep tears. Uh, it's because it was like the evolution of her life. She realized just everything came together and she accepted her position again. And she was happy. She was going out with grace and she was afraid. She was scared, but like, I'm happy. I'm so happy. And being held by the, her loved one, being scared of not seeing him ever again, but going out with grace. Like I just was like thinking afterward, I spent like 30 minutes just in silence, kind of just wondering, you know, when I go out, cause you and I, we get after it all the time. And it's like, sometimes we do break it to the you know, that, that fine line, like maybe, maybe we will get eaten by a shark. And we've talked about this. Like, what are we going to say at each other's funeral? You know, whoever says something, you better say something fucking cool. You know, it's like, cause it, that that's the way to go out. And that's kind of what reminded me of this. And it was just, it was the most real end scene and it just couldn't have been done better. Uh, the last moments of her life, I was there and it, it, it definitely, made me reflect um post the end credits and whatnot because i had to watch those and see all the the names and of course see kind of the the side by sides but it just it just made it's a reflection of real life and i gotta say like it's a breath of fresh air uh just thank man, you for that man I, this movie's for you you know i i mean that's you know this movie's for the lover this movie's for the romantic this movie's for the soulful resilient fighter yeah, so thank you, because I made this movie for you, you know, I made this movie for, this is the audience, you know, you're the audience, you know, um, the, you know, people who love life like you do, you know, that's who this movie's for. I love life like this, you know, I, I push the limits like this. And uh, when I read the book, it hit me in that way. And also, I wanted to make a movie that was so real that these characters, that it was beyond time, that there's this abstract dreamy quality to it, but also that it's so raw and real. And, you know, we see so many, we see death depicted in so many movies and it's always characterized. But anyone who's been with someone who's died, anyone who's held a man or a woman while they died knows what it's like, know how, knows how intense that is and how awkward that is and how beautiful that is. And, I, and I've done it, I've seen it, you know, on many occasions. And so I wanted to depict that um, in the most truthful way possible, because I had never seen it before in a movie like that. 
Um, so thank it's you. so true. Um, like just maybe spending a little bit more time on this before we uh, wrap up, you've got an engagement we've got to get you to, but how did you construct that end scene? Was that like a collective thing with Mina, with Stuart? Um, did you guys like, what's that process like for something like that, that pinnacle moment in a movie? Like it's gotta be nailed. It's gotta be done. Right. What was the process on developing that story real quick? So, um, um, yeah, we got a button on it. So, which is nice. I like the pressure. Um, it's written in the book, right? And it's very real. So it starts with a script. The script is the blueprint. And the, 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 you know, when I wrote it, I'm acting out both scenes to make sure it feels real to me. Yeah, I'm devastated. I'm full of hope. I'm crying when I'm writing it, uh, when I'm adapting the screenplay. So the, there's the blueprint. And then there's a question of the wardrobe. There's a question of the set. There's a question of the location coordination. You know, what room, what house. And I'm choosing that with location coordinator, with production design, with set design. Ultimately, with my DP, Shan. This is, you know, we've done four projects together. Guy's brilliant. You know, my, my closest partner in this regard. And then, of course, with Stuart and with Mina, that by that point, they're really safe. They're, I know they're prepared. They've got it. And most importantly, both of these actors had the emotional well to pull from. So there was never a question. When we got there, it was just, mm -hmm. they're, they're already there. They don't have to prepare for the scene because they've been living it for X amount of weeks. You know, they're already in it. So by the time they get there, they're not acting, they're living, you know, she's, she's Very really interesting. losing someone. Yeah, I mean, and the echo that that uh, hits an actor when they're really experiencing that, it's heavy, it's intense. You know, they're really going through a major loss. Um, and these actors on many occasions in this film Really, I mean, the number of times I looked around and I would see everyone on set crying on a number of different scenes when we were filming because it was so real. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm deeply grateful that they were able to uh, portray these two, you know, people to such a, with such truth and integrity. You know, and Ken uh, Wilbur thought the same thing. You know, he said this felt true, you know, to me. Oh. Well, my man, you are, you are such a deep, intellectual, spiritual individual. Uh, this film is like quintessential Sebastian from my experience with you, because I view you like so much differently than I think someone just looking afar, they see this stud with all these ripped muscles, but they don't understand all those layers of those muscles are extraordinarily deep. Uh, and you're a very special human being. You've created something extraordinary. And I really applaud you for uh, following through on a dream and a vision and a quest and respecting somebody like a random individual that wrote a book about his life and like taking that torch and bringing it to life visually and just what a what a what a magnificent journey that you've been able to do and uh, you just keep going i'm sure you've got many things going on right now uh filmmaking and collaboration etc but just want to say thank you for your time uh, wonderful job with this with this film. Uh, it really moved me, and and I'm not, I'm saying that from the depths of my heart. Uh, there were definitely scenes that that absolutely touched chords that I haven't felt in a while. So uh, thank you, Grace and Grit. Go see it. It's on Amazon. It's on Apple uh, TV and all any anywhere else. Um, Everywhere movie stream. Everywhere. In North every America right now, Canada and the U.S. And then it'll be internationally probably into September. Sebastian Siegel, ladies and gentlemen, director, filmmaker, actor, just all around stud. Thank you, my man, for coming on the show for round Thank two. You. Thank you guys so much. We'll do something soon.
Appreciate you. Bye, everybody.